Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. KXNO. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. All right, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. 20 minutes or so, Zubin Mahente, ESPN Radio, will join us. Nick Mick, NCMIC, ask us to remind you about these farmer's markets. There are two of them tonight. Beaverdale, they go from 4 until 7.30. Beaverdale, 4 until 7.30. Uh, that farmer's market is located at Franklin Middle School, 48th Street and Franklin. Then we just told you about the uh, Johnson Farmer's Market, the Simpson Barn, 6169 North Glen Drive in Johnson, 3.30 to 6.30. So Johnson and Beaverdale. Uh, the focus of today's uh, Farmer's Market Update brought to you by NCMIC. Mitch Sherman covers Nebraska for the Athletic, although he may be branching out a little bit. Maybe some K-State, so, some Big yeah. 12 on the plate. Uh, Mitch Sherman joins us. Mitch Trenton, Ken, thank you for coming on. How are you, Mitch Sherman? I am good, Trenton, Ken. Good to catch up with you guys. I may be branching out, uh, or I may be staying close to home and trying to find stories. Yesterday, I ventured across the river into Council Bluffs and went to see Thomas Fedoni at Lewis Central High School, who is making a big announcement tomorrow between Iowa, Nebraska, Michigan, and LSU. Mm. So interested to see how that one comes out. Any um, guess? I mean, it seems like for the longest time it was going to be Iowa or it was going to be Nebraska. LSU gets involved. You have to think that that gets your attention a little bit. If you had to guess, Mitch. Well, knowing what I know and what everybody knows about the way that recruits have been restricted in this cycle to go outside of their backyards and visit schools, I believe – well, my hunch is that he's going to stay closer to home, you know, which which leads you to Nebraska and Iowa, Nebraska being closer to home uh, geographically, but Iowa being his home state. And, of course, Iowa has the the history of, of great tight end play that has to be attractive for a guy like Fedoni, who has, for sure, has NFL aspirations. I walked into his practice yesterday at Lewis Central, and it, it was great because it's the first time I've seen a football practice in <laughs> right. person in yeah. And, and, well, I mean, Nebraska had two practices in the spring, and neither were open to the media. So you're going back to, I guess, November um, since I've I've seen anything that resembled guys running around a football field, which uh, is something else. And I guess they had a few, Huskers had a few practices this this month in August, too, I I suppose, but um, I wasn't at them. I wasn't invited. So, uh, it was it was cool just to get in there, and I was there for 90 seconds. And, and Fedoni uh, went across the middle and grabbed a pass uh, with one hand, one, one big right claw, just goes up into the air and, and snags one. So it's very easy to see his athleticism and how he would fit in both of those offensive systems. Really, if this had been a normal year, 
I would look at him and say he is a national caliber recruit who could end up anywhere from LSU to Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State. I just don't think those are going to be viable options for him because he didn't get to those campuses to see those places. Now, he could pull a surprise tomorrow, and and, uh, I know he really liked the relationship that he developed with LSU, but I I think he's going to end up staying closer to home. And and Nebraska has been the school of the two um, close to home that he seems to have been more consistently involved with through the process. So, um, you know, I'd probably lean that way, but but uh, it's it's hard to turn down Iowa as a great tight end from the state of Iowa. Talking here to Mitch Sherman. He covers the Cornhuskers at The Athletic and covers the Big Ten as a whole. So when the announcement was initially made by Kevin Warren, we saw Scott Frost out in front of the camera saying right away, our kids want to play. We want to play. We're going to do everything possible to play. That was shot down very quickly by the Big Ten. As we look towards perhaps a winter season, there still feels like a whole bunch of tumult over at Nebraska. And there was also all kinds of crazy theories. They're going to go independent. They're going to go off on their own. They're going to go back to the Big 12. Right now, when you look at the athletic marriage between the Big Ten and Nebraska, how good is it? How bad is it? And is it something where Nebraska actually could be looking around? Uh, you know, I don't think Nebraska's looking around. And, and I think it's important to note the chronology of the events that happened on, on the week that the Big Ten canceled the fall season. Uh, Scott Frost and the, the three Nebraska players who spoke, they did it on Monday, August 10th, uh, when the season was still on the books. The schedule was mm-hmm. out, and obviously there was a lot of talk at that point coming out of that weekend that the Big Ten was headed toward a shutdown. But there was still hope, and uh, Scott Frost expressed his desire to be able to play football and expressed his confidence in what Nebraska had done as an institution and as an athletic department through the summer and the beginning of August to get their program and their players in a position to be healthy and succeed if, in fact, the Big Ten moved forward. So it's hard to find a lot um, to be critical of him from that those comments there on that Monday. I know some people definitely tried on the national level to say Nebraska's threatening to lead the league, Nebraska is, um, it, you know, wants to go rogue. Nebraska won't go along with the Big Ten. Well, the fact is that when Scott Frost spoke, the only time that he has spoken publicly about this came one day before the Big Ten made the announcement on August 11th. And on the 11th, uh, Nebraska responded with a statement on, on Scott Frost's name was on that statement along with the athletic director Bill Moose, the university chancellor, and the and the uh, university system president saying that they were disappointed that uh, football was was not going to happen this fall or the Big Ten was not going to play football this fall and that they were um, were, were looking for uh, any way to get their student-athletes back in competition. It didn't say this fall. It just said when, whenever. And I, I think those were feelings that were shared by everyone in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I think we've heard uh, from, from Gary Barda. Um, I, I think we've heard from people at Ohio State who felt uh, 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 very much the same way. For whatever reason, maybe it's because Nebraska's been in the league for uh, a decade, while Iowa and Ohio State have been in, in the league for more like a century. Uh, it was easy to pick on Nebraska and say, hey, they're the, uh, the new kid on the block who hasn't won a championship and is out there um, you know, ungrateful for the $54 million that it gets every year. Um, and that's, that was an easy take to have on the on the week of of the Big Ten shutdown. But the uh, you know the fact is that I think Scott Frost and the Nebraska players and Bill Moose and Ronnie Green, the the Chancellor and Lincoln, are speaking not just for themselves but for so much of the community in Nebraska, the business community um, that is 
is really, really hurting. And I know it's the same in Iowa City. I know it's the same in Columbus and Ann Arbor and all over the league, but that doesn't lessen the pain that you feel in, in one city and in and, and hotels and restaurants and retail uh, that it, it may not make it through this fall. Um, you may have a city that looks entirely different in December than it does right now. There were places that are just hanging on, hung on through the spring and summer in the hopes that there was going to be a football season this fall. So that's where Nebraska's at. There's a lot of pain. Um, there's a lot of angst. I think there's a lot of worry over what's going to happen. Um, everybody here saw what happened at Iowa on Friday with the um, discontinuation of four sports, which is just heartbreaking to see for those athletes and those coaches and those staff members who uh, who work with those sports. Um, similarly, Nebraska furloughed uh, 51 employees for the rest of the year uh, on Friday. Well, as of September 1st, and cut cut payroll, um, cut access to the training table. I mean, these are just nothing even close to resembling normal times right now. So. Um, you know, you ask about the winter in the spring, and I think people are starting to get on board with that. Yeah. Um, anything that's going to bring in revenue for the university and for the city and give uh, these players a chance to get back on the field, if it's safe, um, you know, even though it's not ideal to play in the winter and spring, uh, I, I think people are, are starting to look at that and say, okay, what do we have to do to make it happen? I, I'm with you, Mitch. I think as much as anything, it's not a necessity that they're looking at that. Gary Barta said yesterday he's leaning towards his vote. If he gets not, if he gets a say, would be to start in January because they don't want to, they want to play whatever game amount of games that is January, February, because they don't want to do anything to compromise the 21 season. Well, I want to go with mm-hmm. you and I just, I, for the life of me, we talked to Scott Darkerman, we talked to Morehouse, we've had Sipple on, just trying to find out who do you think ultimately Kevin Warren listened to? He didn't listen to the athletic directors. Uh, he, he, he is, I mean, he answers theoretically to the president and chancellors. Yeah. But what? But they weren't all on board with with. Um, um, I mean, Chancellor Green. He wanted to play seemingly. Harold over here at Iowa. Mm-hmm. He wanted to play. Who do you think mm-hmm. got Kevin Warren's ear that ultimately, um, you know, led him to the announcement? I mean, I don't think he went rogue and just did it. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have a job to go no. to. But who was right. the who was whose voice uh, was the loudest? I think he kind of answered it there. I think he answers to the presidents and did answer to the presidents. And the two presidents that you mentioned may have been the only two who voiced that opinion. Now, we've heard plenty from Iowa State, I'm sorry, from Ohio State, uh, from Gene Smith and from Ryan Day about the feelings in Columbus. We haven't necessarily heard from the president, at least to my knowledge, uh, at Ohio State, mm-hmm. who is the one who holds the vote right. for uh, in, in that state. Uh, we, we know uh, for sure how administrators felt in Lincoln and in Iowa City. And there have there were reports early on that it was a 12 to two vote, which could would be classified as overwhelming uh, in in favor of shutting the season down. Um, and then there has been confusion over exactly how that vote occurred. Um, some over if the vote occurred, right. which the Big Ten attempted to put to rest last week. Um, but to answer your question about Kevin Warren and who he answers to, yeah, it's, it is a, it is absolutely the university president. He works for them. Um, I think he listened to the people that the Big Ten chose to put on the, um, coronavirus task force. And, you know, that was chaired by a doctor at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Interestingly, uh, the Big Ten has elected not to allow him to talk in the mm. aftermath of this event, which I find just to be 
puzzling and short-sighted on the part of the league. Uh, if you have an expert who was offering advice that led to this decision, put him at the press conference, put him at a podium, put him on the Big Ten network, and allow somebody who has devoted their life to studying these kinds of things to explain what was behind the decision. Instead, um, it's been short responses by email that I've received from Dr. Cradiville at UNMC saying the, he defers to the Big Ten. So essentially, it's all coming from Kevin Warren. And that's tough in this moment. I think if it's a, if it's a lesser issue, if we're dealing with a football issue, an eligibility issue, you know, if it's conference expansion, you know, all of the kinds of things that generally make huge headlines within a conference like the Big Ten, it's fine to have your commissioner be the sole person who's speaking. But we're talking about something that is so much bigger that impacts the livelihoods of hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of people across this Big Ten region. And I find it just really difficult to, um, to, uh, to deal with, to, to, uh, to, to understand why the Big Ten has chosen to take this path that does not include much transparency at all in this decision. Mitch, we want to see Big Ten football, but a winter season, a spring season, there are so many different dominoes that would have to fall to make that come to fruition. They're talking about putting these uh, up at U.S. Bank, maybe in St. Louis, and on and on and on. Unidome. Getting the games in there in some form or fashion. When you look at it logistically, do you believe a winter spring football season is going to happen? Well, I think it's going to depend largely on what happens in the rest of college football this fall. I think that the, the, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12, they're going to kick things off. They're going to get started next month. Um, they, they, they're, they're, they're full go-ahead. If they get started and they have – some semblance of a season, like six games or more, or, or, or certainly if they finish the season in December, the Big Ten is going to be under so much pressure to bring in money and to have a season that can in some way match what those other conferences did in the fall that I don't think there's any way they're going to get around having a season in the winter and spring. They will absolutely have to do it just to keep pace. Otherwise, the league is going to fall behind in so many different ways that will be noticeable and important for years to come. And even if it's just a winter and spring season, the Big Ten is still going to be behind the other leagues if they have a full fall season because they'll be ready. The the, the other three leagues, the other three power leagues, will be ready for a normal fall in 2021, potentially, if we're in a good place, uh, medically speaking, while the Big Ten will still be coming back off of a, a some kind of a winter-spring season. Uh, that, that said, they've got to do it. So, you know, I, I, I can't sit here on August 25th and say, yeah, they're going to do it. They're going to go for sure in the winter and spring until I know what happens with the other conferences this fall. Um, if I had to guess, I think they're going to try. Um, no matter what happens this fall, I think they're going to, that they're going to try to have football in the winter and spring and it's going to be weird. Um, it's not going to feel normal. It's going to feel kind of like a JV or exhibition season. You're going to have all kinds of players who aren't participating. Um, the, the locations, as you mentioned, are going to be unorthodox. The weather is going to be wild. Uh, it's not going to be a full season. There's not going to be a national champion in the spring. But whatever you can do to get some TV sets on, to sell some advertisements, to make some fans uh, feel like they can they get to cheer on their team, 
um, it's better than not having football at all. Mm. Mitch, my last thing for you. I know that you did the the preview of uh, K State uh, coming off an eight and four regular season, lost their bowl game to Navy. For what for whatever reason, I'm just not feeling the Wildcats. You know, we we from where we sit, I think I'll speak for Trent here because I believe he feels the same way. It's you know, it's Oklahoma, it's Texas, it's Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Those are the four at the top. And then you can put everybody with not named Kansas into that next tier. K State had a win over Oklahoma last year. Mm-hmm. Many of us forget they've got Skylar Thompson. The quarterback is back again, so they return their quarterback for whatever reason. Not getting the I don't want to say respects not. The the right word, but not getting the maybe the um, uh, enough eyeballs on this program. Where where do you see K State fitting in this year? Yeah, I'll give you a reason not to. to I'll give you a reason to be skeptical. I mean, if you, if, if if you're having a hard time putting your finger on it, but you kind of feel like maybe it's not all there yet. Um, they they were they return nobody as far as starters on the offensive line, Oof. and the defensive line is depleted too somewhat from what happened uh, a, a year ago. There is an All American. Uh, Wyatt Hubert out at out at defensive end, but be, beyond that, uh, there's not a lot coming back with experience on the defensive line. So, you you combine those two things and you look at the system that Kansas State plays. This is not uh, like the rest of the Big Twelve, where you open things up and they're trying to throw for 500 yards a game, and the line of scrimmage is somewhat minimized. I think Chris Kleiman's system, the way he played at North Dakota State, the way that they started to build things and did a great job in in year one it's predicated on being strong in the trenches and you know they're going to they're going to truly see uh how good that coaching staff is in just year 2 after a crazy off season of rebuilding both of those line both of their their lines um if they can do it and go out and have a winning season this year then wow uh you know i like what they have at quarterback mm-hmm. i like what they have at some of the skill spots they're strong in the secondary they got experience at linebacker, but uh, I have a hard time looking past that uh, that lack of that lack of uh, proven um, talent on on uh, both lines of scrimmage. Uh, Mitch Sherman from the Athletic. Mitch, we're big fans of the uh, website. Both uh, Trent and I subscribe. Uh, it's well worth the money, as we tell everybody that uh, within the sounds of our voice. Mitch Sherman, thank you for what you did for us here, and we look forward to catching up with you again. Okay, good to talk to you guys. Good Thanks to talk to you. Yep, Thanks, take care. Mitch Sherman uh, from the Athletics. So K-State, there's the reason. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That line, both lines. Big question marks there. All right, I'm uh, taking a step back from my Wildcat love. Uh, but they They'll still get Iowa State, though, year. right? What's that? They'll still get Iowa State, though, right? They normally do, Trent. It's it's unbelievable. In some of the craziest fashions oh, possible. No question about that. Uh, Zuba Mahente, ESPN Radio, coming up next. Before we do that, KXNO and iHeart would like to help you with your bills. Text the keyword SMILE to 200-200 right now. Your chance to win $1,000. SMILE to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right, Miller and Condon till noon. Zuba Mahente joins us next. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 101.net. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Hi, Miller and Condon, 1130 Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. 
Our friend Zuba Mahente, ESPN Radio, second week of doing mornings with Keyshawn and Jay Will, week number two. Well, you got uh, seven shows in the uh, books now, Zubin. Good to speak with you, as always. How are you, Zubin Mahente? Good. Seven shows, three rehearsals. He said on the air today, he's known me forever, so I guess that uh, that qualifies as something a little bit different. But uh, it is 20 hours a week. We did spend today talking a lot, and this is kind of where I'm glad I'm not on, on social media because I know it, it, it caused a lot of issues. But we spent, I would say, a very large portion of the show talking about uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. These are two African-American athletes. Uh, Key group in South Central Los Angeles, very rough tough place. Jay grew up in uh, Richfield, New Jersey, largely African-American community. And so my job today was just to sort of navigate, let them say what they wanted to say. They were extremely raw and passionate. And I just sort of, you know, made sure that we got them into the right places and, uh, you know, just sort of try to learn something from these guys. And even though there's a lot of NBA going on and we had a lot of Cleveland Browns talk today and uh, there were other sports to be had for sure. Um, it was a it was an eye opening experience today, and uh, it's interesting because this is not a place ESPN Radio has ever really gone before. And our bosses are telling us um, we're not asking for change for the sake of change. And I'll tell you, from time to time, it makes me uh, uncomfortable just because the subject matter is you know I'm kind of like you guys. I'm a sports, 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 and more mm-hmm. sports kind of guy. Um, but obviously, we are we are giving our commentators, as you've seen across the spectrum on the network on ESPN and other platforms. A lot of latitude, and uh, these guys really wanted to get into it. Um, you know, LeBron had an amazing game last night. Those things are important, but uh, it was very interesting to see a show like this uh, sort of come together. Yeah, that uh, interesting point, Zubin. Yeah, the the video, the Kenosha, the video from uh, Kenosha was just it's, it's frightening. It's just awful, I guess. And uh, the the yeah, the victim is going to be paralyzed from the waist down at least that's the latest seven shots and uh, he's still alive which when you saw it for the first time you thought there's no way that this guy's going to get through that uh, by the grace of god he has so far and fingers crossed he continues uh, to do so we'll get to the uh, I, I saw your uh, the segment with bruce bone i'm going to get to that uh in a minute zoo but let's start let's start on the nba and what we saw last night then we want to cover the nfl with you uh as well boy when the lakers play like that and i was of the opinion that Portland's going to give this series, uh, going to give this team a, a real tough series. And I felt pretty good about that take after game one. Not so much anymore. Zubin, are we just going through the motions here that may as well anoint the Lakers right now? Because, man, oh, man, when they're on and they were last night, look out. Yeah, LeBron's basically 30 and 10 in 28 minutes through three quarters. Uh, obviously, the Blazers were stymied after game one. Once Lillard injured his finger, I really think it took a lot out of Portland. Now, I will mention, when that happened, when Lillard injured his finger, I believe the Lakers were up 30 points when that happened. So I don't think that was like a fulcrum point where, well, it was tight and then Dame got hurt. Dame had been the best player, according to Jay Will and many others, in the NBA bubble, or Silver calls it uh, the campus, but everybody calls it the bubble. Um, So I don't want to pinpoint that. I thought Portland just ran out of gas in the sense that if you go back to their playing game, Lillard played poorly, but Mello and C.J. McCollum played excellent basketball. Gary Trent Jr. hit a huge three. Mello hit a huge three. But when you're depending on those guys to come through consistently, I think Carmelo's had a great resurgence. But there was a reason that the majority of teams in the NBA weren't even looking at him. I do think it was worth it for Portland. But I think the real factor here is Anthony Davis. And LeBron has said it. LeBron is 35, and he has said to Anthony Davis, even though LeBron is playing out of his mind right now, 
that this is your team. You know, at, at some point, I'm going to pass this on to you, even though there appears to be no drop-off in LeBron's game at this particular point. But this is going to be your team. And you just sort of wonder, if Anthony Davis, and we mentioned this the other day, nobody can guard Anthony Davis when he's playing the way he is. However, he's been so injury-prone, forced his way out of New Orleans, not really sure he's got the demeanor for L.A., he's a quiet guy, it's a big flash organization. If Anthony Davis had stayed healthy, that's a woulda, coulda, shoulda. I think he's right there with Giannis. He's just as talented. He's just as lanky. He's just as good on the defensive end. He's just as good on the offensive end. Um, and I do believe that if he stayed healthy, he would be that guy. And I do believe that LeBron wants him to eventually be that guy. Does he have the demeanor to sort of take over? LeBron has a lot of moxie in him. I don't personally see it from Davis all the time. You can have the, you can have a quiet sort of brooding demeanor, which is what I think uh, he has. But I agree with you, Ken. If you're at a standpoint right now where AD is playing the way that he is, now that's a big if. He was a minus 20 in game one, and you saw what happened in game one, the game the Blazers have won in this series. But you take a look what's going on with Luka Doncic right now. One of my favorite stats is it's just a little coincidental, but it just shows where Luka is. Two guys were chosen ahead of him in the 2018 draft. DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix has actually played pretty well. Minus a 25-game suspension, and he just had some young indiscretion. And the other guy's Marvin Bagley the second. What's interesting, Ken Trent, is that both of the guys that drafted those two guys have been fired <laughs> or resigned. And I'm not saying it's because they passed on Luca. <laughs> it's interesting to note, right? They had the opportunity to grab him, didn't. And now they're on the outside looking in. Paul George is playing terribly. Kawhi's playing great. The Raptors scored 150. Your Raptors, Ken, scored 150 the other day. 100 from the reserve. That's nuts. 100 off yeah. the pine. I mean, right. and nobody's talking about them with a great series with uh, Boston coming up. It's I mean, be a dandy. Toronto could have best head coach and GM and overall roster efficiency from 1 to 13 in the league. It's unbelievable. They're not getting any discussion. And the Rockets uh, have sort of fallen apart without Russell Westbrook, so there's a ton to talk about. The pride of Carroll, Ohio, if you watched yeah. TNT the other day. <laughs> Carroll, Ohio's own. Uh, not, not the best moment for no, Herdy there. No. A shot heard around the NBA, what Luka did on oh Sunday, playing on a bad wheel putting the triple-double together that he did, and then the shot to win it, to tie the series up, get ready for a Game 5 tonight, and with it... Porzingis is out, right? I think he is. Clippers-Mavs. Didn't anticipate this much buzz for this series coming into the playoffs. Not at all. One interesting note about the Mavs, though, if you go back and look, because I know you guys love the numbers, the Mavericks were the most offensively efficient team in at least the last 20 years. So wow. they were more offensively efficient than those Warriors teams, the championship Warriors teams. It seems hard to imagine because, you know, they haven't really done much and they didn't even battle for home court if there was such a thing uh, before the pandemic hit. But if you look at their numbers, they are absolutely positively off the charts. Where they struggle is crunch time scoring. So their offensive efficiency for most of the game is tremendous, and that's been good enough to put them as one of the most offensively efficient teams in the NBA, as I mentioned, over the last couple of overall decades. But they haven't been able to execute in the clutch. Ken, you kind of mentioned, not only did Luka do it, he did it without Porzingis. He had one of the more unique stat lines of all time. The first player in the playoffs with a 40-point triple-double and a buzzer beater in the same game. It's a mouthful. But he was the first one to do it. Jay brought up a really interesting point. Jay Will, my partner, uh, on, our, on our morning show on TV and radio. He said one of the things people don't think about with Luca is that when you get signed to a contract when you're 13, like people look at it and say, Luca and Trey Young, they were traded for each other. Well, Trey Young's like two years out of high school, right? I mean, he's like two years out of high school. Luca's 21, 
and has basically been playing against grown men mm-hmm. in European basketball, which is, I think, you know, every once in a while when Trey would walk in Hilton Coliseum or maybe walk into Waco or Allen Fieldhouse, then he's playing dudes, as we like to call it. But it's, for the most part, Luke has been playing dudes for the last eight years, since he was about 13, I would say, years old. He's 21, and he led the NBA in triple-doubles at the age of 21. So I think there's something about the way he played before he got to the NBA and the competition he faced. He was also drafted by Donnie Nelson, who's Don Nelson's son, and is seen as one of the most foremost international uh, experts. He really has put has his finger on the pulse of a lot of international players and has had so uh, for quite some time. And There's been no bigger acquisition, obviously, uh, He's unbelievable. Uh, Zubin, just one more quick hit on, on the NBA, and it had to do with your show this morning, then I want to uh, uh, get into the NFL for you. Greg Popovich, as was pointed out, 71 years old, and I had not heard this until you guys brought it up on the show. Uh, when was it tuned in? About 8.30, whatever it was this morning, uh, Bruce Bone was on. Brooklyn Nets are, I mean, there's buzz that uh, the Popovich at 71 years old is going to leave the comforts of San Antonio where, I mean, he he will never lose his gig there. there I don't think there's anything he could do uh, that would get him run out of town, especially what he's done for that franchise. Do you believe it, that, that he would be willing to put that behind? I mean, he's 71. Zubin, I don't get that part of it either, that he wants another challenge. Everybody's cut differently. Uh, what do you think the likelihood is? I think the likelihood is low, and I look at it from the other way. I think the Nets will proverbially have to kick the tires on Popovich because I think what they're finding is it's going to take a really special head coach. Now, right now their head coach is Jock Vaughn. You remember him, the former Kansas sure. Jayhawk uh, basketball player. I don't, I don't want to rule him out, but I don't think he has the gravitas and the reputation to be able to handle Durant and Irving. Maybe he surprises me. I don't know if the Nets will go for it. It's part of the reason they fired their head coach, Kenny Atkinson. He had actually done a superb job, but he was more of a builder of guys. They knew that Kenny Atkinson could get them so far overachieving, uh, but he probably wasn't going to be able to get the best out of uh, out of KD and Kyrie Irving. I think Greg Popovich is a guy that would command instant respect no matter who he was coaching, and certainly even aloof guys like Kyrie Irving and difficult, sensitive guys like Kevin Durant, I definitely think would fall in line if Greg Popovich was their head coach. From a practicality standpoint, he's 71. He's the oldest coach in the league. I'm not sure the oldest coach in the league at that age wants to be moving to one of the most densely populated areas of America (laughs) to coach a team that's on the way up and ascending. They're not even there. Obviously, if you were to leave San Antonio, it could open the door for Becky Hammond or someone else. I think it's a low percentage. Bruce Bowen played for him, thought it was a good fit. Um, He really came on to rally Brett Brown. Brett Brown was a longtime assistant for Greg Popovich, and he loves Brett Brown. He thought what happened to him in Philly was wrong, but Look, when you're the first coach in NBA history to lose 60 games in three consecutive seasons, and one of those seasons was a 10-72 and 72 year, I'm sorry. You know, Ben Simmons doesn't know how to shoot. How about some accountability? If you draft him first overall, you got to ask him to learn mm-hmm. how to shoot. Yep. You can't just let him just do whatever he wants. Oh, he can't shoot. He's a great defender. There's no accountability there. I, so I think this is more on the Nets, Ken, that they need an electrifying coach. Jay will also mention Teron Luke because he's like the one dude in the league that could yell at LeBron, and <laughs> LeBron would actually pay attention. They need a guy that can command the room, whether he's a former player like Tehran or a respected head coach in Popovich. So I understand why they did it, because I don't think any old normal coach is going to work for an organization like Brooklyn. They can seize a lot. The Knicks are rebuilding. They have a new head coach, general manager, and VP of player personnel. The Knicks are on their umpteenth, again, rebuild. 
the Nets have a real opportunity with these two guys to do something if they can find the right coach. And soon a point guard from Iowa State and Tyrese Halliburton. We'll see. Anyway. You have that. Yeah. You have that. Hey, uh, Zubin, let's jump into the NFL. A crazy weekend with the 77 false positive tests, mm-hmm. but Schefter had the numbers yesterday along with the number of NFL writers. Just incredible. It's not a pure bubble, but the NFL is doing as well as you can anticipate at this point. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they have come out, again, the company talking points are they've conducted 100,000 tests during training camp. A fraction of 1% have been positive, and it's dropping. You could also say that a lot of these tests that you referenced there were linked to one specific laboratory in New Jersey. It's with the league testing partner, BioReference. So there's also the argument to be made that if it was a batch, it was the wrong batch, an incorrect batch, it could have come out of that one particular testing site. I think if they had come out of specific testing sites or they had come out of testing sites around the country, then you get a little concerned. But I do think you can say, listen, wait a minute. If they're all coming from one place, what is the likelihood that we just need to look at this all over again? So I think that's an encouraging sign for the NFL for sure. Numbers are down. But at the same token, I think right now, as you're seeing, you know, people are purposely staying away from each other. Obviously, they're doing everything they can to mitigate. Once they get to a point when we hit September 10th, and that's not really possible, we'll wait to see what's happening. I think you can structure training camp. Over the, as you guys know, over the last several years, they've gone from two-a-days to one-a-days, and now they're making sure they're shields. They're making sure they're socially distant. I saw a story when you go into the Rams facility. If you want a Gatorade, you put your foot on a foot pedal, and the Gatorade door opens, and it <laughs> pops out. Like Those sorts of things, people are making innovations all over the place. Because for the moment, they can. But once September 10th starts and the paradigm is totally different, we'll have to wait to see what happens. As you guys know, they smartly put the schedule into place where if they had to push back and uh, move division games, they're able to make that occur. So right now, looks great, sounds great, numbers are great, um, but it's not as close to being a reasonable resemblance of what we're actually going to see. The one thing that the NHL, the MLB, and the NBA, and even MLS had going for it is that their training looks so much like their game. An NBA practice looks a lot like an NBA game. So if you can get guys testing negative in practice, you can pretty much do it in a game. Remember, in the NBA, guys are getting dressed fully in their uniform in their Mm -hmm. hotel room and then walking in their uniform (laughs) to the site to play. So I just think the comparison between practice and those other three sports and the game is very similar. Morning skate and playing in an NHL game are not that different. But if you ever go to like a training camp practice or an NFL practice, it looks nothing like a game. Zuba, my last thing for you. Um, it doesn't feel like football season to me, and I think Trent feels the same way. Absolutely. Um, it just doesn't. Maybe we're just not allowing ourselves to be. We should be crawling out of our skin that college football this was this coming Saturday was supposed to be week zero, and then the two Goliaths in our state are going to play, and then the following week they're going to play each other. Uh, even the NFL, I mean, two weeks from Thursday night is opening night of the NFL. It doesn't feel like that to us. Is it diminished at all the feeling of being on the cusp of football season at ESPN? Is, is even, does, what does it feel like there, I guess? Yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I know you guys were talking last week. I was able to find an answer on college game day. I talked to my guy, Derek Volner, the other day here in PR. And he essentially told me that if there is a season, which right now, obviously, six FBS conferences, including three in the power structure, are committed to playing, that there will be some sort of game day. In the next two weeks or so, you can expect to see uh, more plans on whether there will be a road show, whether it's going to be a studio show. 
But as long as college football is going, I think you talked about it with Bill Bender when I was looking mm-hmm. at driving the other day uh, home from New York. And so there will be something. As long as those leagues are going, there is going to be something. Just look for it in the next couple of weeks, and I'll try to keep my eyes on it for you as well. I think the one thing that isn't really being talked about, I mentioned this on the show, uh, the radio show the other day and on TV with our, with our guys, is that I think even though Kevin Warren is being beaten like a pinata at this point and everyone's just getting their shots in and why is he doing this and he's just protecting the commissioners like Goodell protects the owners, I've heard all these comments. I think part of the reason there isn't huge anticipation or people are stilted in their thoughts, Ken, is because I think deep down in the recesses of our minds, and I said this on the air the other day, I think people maybe feel like Kevin Warren is going to be right. Now, a lot of people want him to be wrong so we can have spring football and say, all right, we already missed the fall. Let's get on this and let's not do it again. But the reality is Kevin Warren, when he goes to sleep every Saturday night this fall, he's going to sleep okay. He's not going to be worried about somebody calling him Sunday and saying, we got somebody on a ventilator. We have somebody that has shortness of breath. Somebody's got myocarditis. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do? Bob Bowles will be sleeping with one eye open. John Swafford is sleeping with one eye open. Greg Sankey is sleeping with one eye open because they know the risk that is inherent here. Now, I get it. We played the game. Maybe something happens. Maybe something doesn't happen. But I do think there's enough people that even though they disagree with what Kevin Warren did, there's a part of them that realizes why he did it, why he hedged his bets. And if he's right in any way, shape, or form, football isn't really something you would want to anticipate anyway. It's the one feather in Warren's cap. I know I'm probably the lone wolf out here defending this guy. I thought Trent had a brilliant argument and takedown of Warren last week, which I couldn't top if I tried. But I do think some people look at Kevin Warren and say, if, just if he's right, there's no reason to be looking forward to football right now. So I'm going to give myself a pass if I don't want to do it right now. So when we are out of time, thank you, my friend. Uh, we will talk to you in a week's time. Keep her going with Jay Will and Keyshawn, uh, ESPN, on uh, in, on your morning. You are on the air at 5 a.m. our time. Yikes. Zubin, great stuff. Thank you. <laughs> You got it, guys. See you next week. Good to talk to you. Five to six and then back again from eight (laughs) until nine on ESPN Radio. Uh, Good stuff out of Zubin Mahente. We will be back to wrap things up. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106. Woohoo! Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Final couple of minutes here on a Tuesday. David Kaplan will join us tomorrow. Look forward to speaking with Cappy. On the agenda tonight for you is what, Trent? Oh, it's Indians, twins mm-hmm. for me at the forefront of things. Pitching matchup is whom? Do you know? Uh, Rich Hill back on the bump against... Oh, no, Bieber? Shane Bieber, twin killer Shane Bieber. What's, will be uh, how, how much are the Indians favored because of Bieber? Do you oh, know the number? I can find it. I got it right here. Minus 180. He is so good, Trent. Isn't it worth a stab, though? Well, he's due for a bad one, you would think. And, and, and Twins, they can hit the baseball. It wasn't very good last time out, but still. Yeah, yeah he got pulled after, what, second inning yeah, or early yeah. in the baseball game? The curveball was hanging against the Brew Crew. Yeah. Still, at that price, you're worth looking a, probably yep. 155 on the plus side. Worth a, worth a shot. I guess I'm going to be jumping on my Twins tonight. You know, I don't like to usually bet on my teams, but here That's we are. That's as big are. of a number as you're going to get on them, I think, during the regular season. Twins will, are the Twins? The Cubs put uh, Tyler Chatwood back on the bump today. Yeah. 
Quintana to the bullpen. That's where he's going to start. Yep, Uh Uh, Chatwood after his short stint on the IL. Mills was good last night. He was against Turnbull on the other side for the Tigers. Only minus 130 for the Cubs. Hmm. Well, we'll talk about that with Cap tomorrow. Hey, we mm-hmm. didn't spend any time on this yesterday. Probably should have. Uh, Wayne Chanley, the Kemple, uh, Nick Nurse's high school coach, mm-hmm. um, letting him know that he's the coach. That was a pretty cool moment. It really I was. I mean, even though Ernie, as you mentioned, he blew it with the Carroll, Ohio. Right. I mean, that's not that's not good. Come on, Ernie. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's just reading off a teleprompter, I'm Idaho, guessing. But, Ohio. Yeah. yeah, you can't beat the potatoes in Iowa. We've always said that. Murph and Andy at 2, Fanatics at 4, Morning Rush tomorrow at 6 a.m. We're Miller and Condon. Thanks for being here. Weekdays 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM.